Awesome. Well, it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. And man, I, we love to worship. We are here to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. And every Sunday morning is just a worship rehearsal for what we will get to do for all of eternity. Amen. And so whether this is your first time here or you've been here uh, many, many times, we're so thankful that you're here. You're loved here. And we're so th- uh, the opportunity that we have to worship together. And I just want to reiterate, if you are newer here, we would love to get the chance to meet with you after the service at our step one as God continues to work in a big way for his glory. Um, um, we are going to continue in our series, uh, jump back into the Gospel of John. So we're going to be in John chapter 4 if you want to get a head start there. And we have a copy of God's Word in the back for you. If you don't have a, a Bible with you, we would love to give that to you. And I, we had a friend, a member of our church this morning that said, hey, could I have some Bibles to give away? I keep giving away Bibles to my friends. Could I take some home to give away? The answer is Absolutely. Um, We love to see God's word in people's hands because we believe that God's word changes everything. And because Jesus changes everything. Um, I want to say, Anna and I missed you guys last week. Our family missed you guys as we were up in Mission Church at our sister church, our sending church in Lancaster. And I want you to know that they love you and they send their love and their greetings. And while we were sad to be away, we were so thankful for Michael Palmatier and his family as as Michael brought the word. He's an elder at Mission Church and God used him in a powerful way last week. And so I'm so thankful for that partnership and our family families as we continue to move forward and, and to fulfill the mission of God and, and advance the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus is building his church, amen? And we are so, so grateful and thankful as God continues to move powerfully. And I wanted to share just one way how God is moving powerfully in our midst today. And hopefully it's an encouragement to you as it is to me. Um, last, uh, at the end of 2023, we had an end of year giving challenge for $10,000 to one, help catch up on our giving shortfall. Uh, throughout the beginning of the fiscal year, but also to be able to advance God's kingdom through missions projects with Victoria Garris in Nicaragua and also in the Dominican Republic with a uh, few, uh, just helping to provide for an opportunity for an evangelistic basketball outreach. And I just want you to know that God provided above and beyond our $10,000 goal for over $11,700 came in. Praise God for that, amen. And so we just want to say thank you and praise God. And, and even above and beyond that, I mean, there's more, right? Praise God. Um, you know, we, had, we can't entered into December at a $14,700 shortfall on our first quarter giving. And we actually concluded December when you include the end of your giving and even beyond. We had a friend from outside the church that loves our church that really, still really, really significantly just generously contributed. Um, but we actually ended up the, the year of, in the first quarter in the blacks by a couple thousand dollars. So praise God for that as he continues to build his church. So God is moving significantly. As Pastor Andrew said earlier, we want to continue to grow and strengthen our, our tithing muscle, our stewardship muscle. And so as we begin this new year, really, really want to continue to encourage us all to do that, to give back in a heart of worship to God and to invest in the work of God, all that he is doing here. So as we jump back into John this morning, I have a question for you though. What do you do when you don't know what to do? When you're at your wits end, when the prognosis from the doctor that you get is terrifying. When the financial burden that you're carrying is debilitating. When the relational strain that that you are enduring is overwhelming. When every other avenue that you have tried as you process and walk through the storms of life, the grief of it just isn't satisfying. What do you do? Where do you turn? Today in the text in John chapter four, we're going to see a man, a government official, a father who is at his wits end, who is powerful in his day job, has a lot of connections but is powerless 
to heal and to save his son. We're going to see him make a decision of faith on his journey of faith. He he didn't, when we meet him, he is not a believer, but we're going to see him in the moment, in the crisis, choose to go to Jesus as opposed to turning away from Jesus and how that made all the difference for him. And that same decision of faith, that same journey of faith that we're all on today will make a huge difference for you. I don't know how you entered this room or are joining us online. I don't know what burden you're carrying. I don't know what grief you're processing. I don't know what storm you are enduring. I just know we all are in some way, shape or form walking through the reality of the difficulty of a fallen and broken world. And maybe you came this morning experiencing in the hurt and the heart of the brokenness of this world and you walked in without hope. But as we're gonna see from the text today, as we're gonna see from the character of God and and the, the power of Jesus Christ that he offers us hope in our hurt and our heart and our heartache. He offers us peace, not in the absence of our problems or our pain, but in the middle of our problems and our pain. Praise God for that, amen. But the difference is whether you will choose to turn to him in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your crisis, in the middle of the uncertainty and the difficulty and the adversity and the hostility. Because that choice of of faith to turn to God is a difference in standing in the storm and succumbing to the storm. Where are you turning today? The big idea you'll see on the screen and in your notes is this, is that seeking, surrendering, and submitting to Jesus provides peace in my problems confidence in my crisis and direction in my dilemmas, seeking, surrendering, and submitting to Jesus. That's the process of faith. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is choosing to go to Jesus in the middle of fear. Provides peace in my problems, confidence in my crisis, and direction in my dilemma. Putting my full weight, faith, belief in Jesus Christ as looking to him to save, to satisfy, to sustain, because that's what he does. He strengthens. He meets us in our storm. He meets us in the crisis and he encourages us and he does his work that he is. So whatever storm, whatever crisis you are finding yourself in this morning, there's hope today in and through the name of Jesus. My question for you today, for me, my own heart, because we all have a decision to make and wherever we are is will you turn to Jesus or will you turn away from Jesus? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you that you change everything. We thank you for the reality of of the gospel. We thank you for the reality of the power of your name. We thank you that you meet us in the storm and that you, you carry us through that you are sufficient, that you're never caught off guard, that you're not surprised, that you are sovereign, risen, reigning and ruling And Jesus, we love you. And Jesus, we are here today to declare the reality that we need you. Every one of us, no matter where we are in our journey of faith, we need you to strengthen. We need your grace to sustain us. We need your power, God, to carry us today. And Jesus, I just pray that you would open our hearts and lives to make us more like you. God, that however we came in here today, You would meet us where we are, but you wouldn't leave us where we are. That you would move us to become more like you. 
that you would sustain us and give us perseverance and endurance for every step on the journey of this life as we look towards to eternity with faith and with hope and with confidence to the reality that we get to spend forever with you if we've chosen to put our belief and our faith in you. God, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. As we dive in to John, turn with me right wood to John chapter four. We're gonna look at John four today, verses 46 through 54. We love to go verse by verse through the Bible at harvest. And we're continuing through our study in the gospel of John. It's the word of the Lord. So he, he being Jesus, this is verse 46, came to Cana in Galilee where he made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So as we dive back into our verse by verse study of the gospel of John, it's important to understand and remember the context of which this was written. The whole point and the purpose that John the apostle is writing this gospel and that is given to us in the thesis statement of the gospel of John in John 20 verse 31, where John the apostle says, but these things are written so that you might what? Believe that Jesus is the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. The whole point of the gospel of John is that you and I might believe not just one time, but every time, not just one day for when our, in our conversion, but every day during our sanctification, my friends, are you believing today? Are you believing? Are you putting your faith in Jesus in every circumstance, in every season, in every situation, or are you trying to do it yourself? Because even if you put your faith in the Lord as your Lord and Savior a long time ago, it's easy to drift, right? It's easy to go back into, I can do it myself. John is calling us back to faith. Not in just an intellectual ascent type of way, but a transformational type of way. Not just an emotional experience but in a true choice of seeking Jesus, surrendering to Jesus, submitting to Jesus in every season, circumstance, and situation, because that is what it is to be a disciple, to surrender, to trust God, the grace of God, that he will give us the strength to save us, that he will sanctify us, that he will sustain us, that he will send us on his mission. True faith Jesus is looking for from us that is enduring and persevering, even in the hurt and the heartache, even when we like it or when we don't. It gives us confidence in the crisis and peace in the pain. So how do we have this type of faith? How do we do this? What is a lifetime journey? Story, and I don't know where you are on your journey of faith today, but we all have a next step to take. We're gonna see this man take a journey of faith in these few short verses. 
And Jesus is asking each of us to take a, a step of faith today. Whether your life is calm right now or whether it's chaotic or in a crisis, we all have a next step of faith to take. So what can we learn from this text today about how to grow in our faith in the Lord? I love how Paul writes in Colossians 2 that he says this. He says, therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You see, yes, our faith is to receive Jesus and make our decision for salvation, but then it is an everyday decision to grow deeper and deeper our roots in him for sanctification to become established so that when the storms of life come and the wind and waves blow, we will not be succumbed. We will not be uprooted, but we will be grounded and stand strong. So how do we do this? How do we grow in our faith on a daily basis? Guys, this, uh, on behalf of our elders and our staff, this is our heart and our prayer for you, that you would grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ every single day. This is why we're here. Discipleship, sanctification, you can talk about a lot of different aspects of it, but at the heart of it is to grow in our faith in Jesus, to become more like Jesus. And not just in one way, but in every way, every day. So we're going to look at what true faith is and four different steps from this text of growing in our faith. And whether you came into this room or online as one questioning the Lord, or maybe you're running from the Lord and you never had a relationship with the Lord. I pray that you would take the step to put your faith in the Lord for the first time today, as this man and his family will do. Or maybe you've known the Lord for a while, but you've drifted from him and you've gotten into self-sufficiency mode as opposed to full surrender mode. And I pray that you would return back to Jesus and turn to grow in him. Or maybe when the crisis comes, you're just trying to work harder, do better, to gut your way through it and get your way out of it. And you're just flailing because that was not good that God's design for it. And you're sinking. I pray that you would learn how to stand today as you shift your faith from yourself to our savior. So today, the first step of growing in our faith, and we all have a step to take is this. True faith goes to Jesus. We go to Jesus, not just in one situation, but in every situation. This is a foundational aspect of our faith. Are we turning literally to Jesus in every aspect of our lives, not just in one way or another? Are we anchoring our lives? Are we building our lives on the rock that is Jesus Christ? Now, so we're going to see this as the story begins in this section as Jesus was continuing to, he's matriculating his way from north to, from south to north, from Judea to Galilee. He's moving and he's working in a profound way. We, we, when we last left in November in this gospel, we, he was coming out of Samaria where he met the woman at the well and he's making his way now to Galilee, to Cana. There's an official, this, uh, this text teaches us in verse 46 and 47 in Capernaum where his son was deathly ill. We don't know much about this man, but we do know he's an official, most likely a government official. Some think that he's a Roman centurion. Others think he's in Herod's court. While this is a similar text to some other stories in the gospel, it is a unique experience. What we do know is that this man was a government official. He had all the connections in the world. He was a man of means. He has servants. He was financially well off. He had connections throughout the area. So while he was sufficient in many ways, he was insufficient in doing the one thing that he desperately wanted more than anything, which was the ability to heal his son. And maybe you feel that way this morning. 
you just feel insufficient in your ability to heal or to care for those that you hold most dearly or to solve someone else's problems and you're, you've tried to do it all yourself and I'm so thankful for you. And like when our kids are ill, guess what? We'll move heaven and earth, right? We'll fly wherever we need to fly. We'll fundraise whatever we need to fundraise. We'll advocate whatever we need to advocate. There is no rock uh, that we will not un- over to unturn. There is no cost we will not pay. And that's the heartbeat of this man because more than a centurion and more than, more than an official in this text, he's a dad. And just think about that. Imagine yourself in this situation. How would you act? He was ill to the point of death. And so he came. He heard that Jesus was in the area. Jesus, the last time Jesus was in Cana was in John chapter two. You know what he was doing then in John chapter two in Cana? Turning water into wine. And so word was spreading that Jesus was back, that the man that turned water into wine was back. And it got to this Capernaum official and he came to Jesus. In his personal helplessness and his spirit of brokenness, he had hope in Jesus. He's at a crossroads, just like you and I are often at a crossroads. You'll see a picture of a map behind me of this journey. So Capernaum is on the northwest part of the Sea of Galilee. He journeys inland or to the Mediterranean Sea. He goes a little southwest to Cana. It's about 20, 25 miles. It has an elevation of about 1,350 feet climb to go on this journey. It's not an easy journey. It's not a safe journey. It's not a short journey. You're not hopping in your car and you're there half an hour later. It's a long, arduous journey that this man was taking to see Jesus. But that obstacle didn't keep him from seeing Jesus, to going to Jesus. But what obstacles on your journeys of faith, and we're all at different places, do you allow to keep you yourself from turning to Jesus? And maybe you're familiar with some of these obstacles that often keep us from turning to Jesus. Maybe the rocky terrain of past hurt keeps you from coming to Jesus. Past church hurt. I don't want to go to Jesus because those church people, they hurt me, they betrayed me, they, and I'm sorry. But don't let something that happened to you in church stop you from actually going to Jesus. Because it's all about Jesus. Maybe we look at the journey to Jesus and we go, that distance is just too far. I can't get to Jesus, by the way. I'm too much of a sinner. I can't go to Jesus because, well, I just look at my mess and Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with me. Friends, can I tell you that there is no sin that you can commit that can outrun the grace of God? The beautiful news of the gospel is that we don't have to go to Jesus because Jesus comes to us in our mess. We don't have to clean ourselves up. But we have to make the decision. Salvation is a gift of grace, but we have to choose faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. My sin is too great. Well, praise God that Jesus covers every single one of our sins. Or maybe if it's not the rocky terrain or the far distance, it's bad traveling conditions. Like last Saturday, we were going up to, to, to Lancaster and it was, it was a hot mess on the roads, right? And we're like, is it are the conditions well enough for us to drive? And maybe when you look at the conditions of our culture, you go, I can't go to Jesus because the it's just the conditions. What will the people at my office think if they go, what are you doing with your son? I'm going to Jesus. Imagine this government official in Herod's court 
what he would have to explain to Herod, where'd you go this weekend? I went to see Jesus. Oh, really? How'd that go over? But he didn't let it stop him. Are we letting what culture says stop us from going to Jesus? Well, I just don't think Jesus cares. Jesus sees and he knows. The beautiful thing about the story is that he met this man and he answered this man and he will answer you. Will you go to Jesus? What does turning to Jesus look like? Well, it's seeking Jesus, it's surrendering to Jesus, and it's submitting to Jesus. This man right here is literally seeking Jesus. He goes to Jesus. He's seeking him out. Are you seeking Jesus with an open heart and an open mind and an open hands? Where do you need to do that? Not just in one area of your life. You're like, oh, I'll do it in my illness. I'll do that in my health category of my life, but not my finances. The finances are mine or my time is mine or my marriage is mine or my education is mine or my vocation is mine. Jesus, you can have a part of me, but I, I got the rest of me. Where do you need to seek Jesus in all areas of your life? Surrendering them all to him. What the beauty of this context is, is that the gospel's for everybody. And we want to read the text in context. So if you go back to John 3, and then now we're in John 4, Jesus has now shared the gospel with Nicodemus, a Jewish religious high-ranking teacher, a Samaritan woman who is a sinner in sexual sin, who he culture said don't go near her for a lot of different reasons. And now a Galilean government official. Jesus met all three of those unique individuals with the power of the gospel. Praise God that the gospel changes everything and is for everyone. Amen. With the beautiful power of the gospel that we can all turn to Jesus. Praise God. Are you? Will you? The gospel transcends cultural barriers. It crosses borders. It has a power over sin and death. It's the mercy in our mess, the grace that covers our guilt. It is our hope. Will you turn to him? Because remember, seeking and surrendering and submitting to Jesus provides peace in my problems, confidence in my crisis, and direction in my dilemma. So great, I'm turning to Jesus, and now what? What's the next step in my faith? Well, this text teaches us that the next step in our faith to take after we turn to Jesus is to share our heart with Jesus. Because look at what happens here. In verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him. He sought him. He, he went and he asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. So he didn't just go to Jesus. What does he then do in verse 47? He asked him. He opened his heart to Jesus. He let Jesus know about the reality of his insufficiency. I can't heal my son, Jesus, but will you? Can you? The dad could have stayed in the crowd. He could have stayed silent, but he didn't. You can come to church and still close your heart to Jesus. You can live the Christian life and never bring your request to Jesus. which is really hard. But just imagine the thoughts in this man's head. What if Jesus can't heal him? How embarrassing will that be? What will other people think? They probably might know that I'm a government official 
and they see me here, what's my street reputation gonna be? And somehow that worrying about our ego or our pride or what others think keep us from opening our heart to Jesus. Often it's pride and finally getting to the point of admitting that I can't heal me. Friends, I love you, you can't heal yourself, especially in the area of your sin. You can't save yourself. Jesus is the only savior, but you can't humble yourself and open your heart to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. That's what this government official is saying right here. I need you. He went to him and said, Jesus, will you come and will you heal my son? Because he's at the point of death. Jesus, you are the one that I believe. I saw you turn water into wine. Can you bring life out of death? And remember, he didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus at this time. He was like, I got one last shot. And praise God that Jesus answers those prayers too, amen? The Hail Mary prayers, the in the foxhole prayers. You don't have to be eloquent and have a theological language and to come to Jesus, just come raw, come hurting, come open, just come open your heart to wherever you are and be honest with the reality of, of who you are and who Jesus is. I can't do it, but Jesus, I need you. And I think you can, or I hope you can, but will you? Or I know you can, because he can, can't he? It's going to Jesus in our inability and trusting in his ability. It's putting your full weight on Jesus's power through how? Well, the man had a verbal conversation with him, but in our way, it's through prayer. Prayer is just a conversation with Jesus. Let's, let's not make prayer something it's not. What I mean by that, sometimes like, ooh, prayer, I don't know how to pray. Just have a conversation. Jesus, help. Help, that's a prayer. Yes, you can have longer prayers, shorter. There's a whole bunch of prayers, but at its heart, it's a conversation between me and my Savior and my Heavenly Father. Can I tell you this, friends, whether you've been walking with Jesus all your life or some of your life or not any of your life yet, what the Bible teaches us about prayer is if you are unwilling to pray or if you choose not to pray, often we miss out on the power of God that he wants to work in your life. Read, the God, read James, you have not because you ask not, or you have not because you ask with the wrong heart. Go back and read the Mark chapter nine, a very similar story, different, but similar. Jesus comes down off though with his three disciples off the Mount of Transfiguration. He finds this commotion happening. The other nine disciples are, there's a, a father there in Mark nine. They're like, my son has been demon possessed since he's been death. He, he, the, the demons fill him and they make him foam with the mouth, roll around the floor. He throws himself in the fire as he tries to drown himself through as the demons working in him. And the disciples, they bring the disciples and they can't get the demon out. And the father goes, Jesus, if you are able, will you help? And you know what Jesus says to him in Mark nine? If I can. If I can, all things are possible for the one who what? Believes. And the father goes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's okay to go to Jesus even when we don't fully believe. Even admitting the reality, open our hearts to, I don't fully believe. And Jesus saves that boy. And then in a little debrief with his other nine disciples, they're like, Jesus, how come you could do this and we can't? And he goes, some of these are only able, some things are only able to be done by what? Through prayer. So often, if we want to unleash the power of God in us and through us, we need to pray. We need to open our hearts to God. We need to have a heart posture of humility that is seeking God. Are you doing that? 
prayer unleashes the unstoppable power of God into our seemingly insurmountable problems and unovercomable obstacles in our lives. Prayer changes everything. All the time, every time, which is why we need to be fervently praying. One of our pillars here is unceasing prayer. Where in your life have you ceased praying? Because you think God can't or God won't or you're just tired of it. Or honestly, you're just tired of God not doing it your way. God, why haven't you done it when I want it, how I want it, and for the reasons that I want it? And he lovingly looks at you and I and goes, because it's not about you, brother or sister. It's all about me. And are you going to trust me that my way is better than your way? And what we're really saying is, honestly, no, (laughs) often, right? Let's be really real. And that prevents us from opening our heart because we're not trusting God. Oswald Chambers says, prayer doesn't fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. God works through prayer every single time. Prayer doesn't mean that your external circumstances will change. It's not a guarantee of that. It's always a guarantee that your internal circumstances will change, that you'll become more like Jesus. And if our sanctifications and God's glorification are our top priority, we will find victory every single time. What's your desire? Are you opening your heart to how God wants to work in you and through you? And prayer is not just reactive, but proactive. You can pray through doing an acts model, which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, or supplication. Or you can just be like this dad. He's like, help, help Jesus. You are the miracle worker. You are the way maker. I've heard you've done it before. Will you do it again for your glory and not my own? If you want the power of prayer, read on your own later, Philippians 4, 4 through 8, familiar with many of you, us, but how many, of us, how many times we don't practice that? Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice as Paul sits in jail. How many of us would be pouting about the reality that we're in jail as opposed to praying to God and thanking for him, rejoicing to God that we're in jail? Why are we rejoicing? Because the Lord is at hand. When God shows up, things blow up in a good way. He removes obstacles and barriers and chains and he moves and he works. With everything, present your supplication and request to God and the peace of God, which what transcends our understanding. How can I have peace in my problem or my situation? I don't know. It transcends my understanding. It is literally mind blowing. God promises and he'll do it. And his peace doesn't just come to me. It guards me, guards my heart and mind. Isn't that awesome? That God's peace is proactively guarding my heart and mind. Because it's a spiritual battle. You know where the spiritual battles are most often fought? On my heart and my mind and yours too. Jesus won the victory, but the battles rage. Peace is possible, but we need to open our hearts to God. But how many of us right now in our crisis or our problems are like this? We get out our tools and we're like, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to go in or I'm going to go out other different directions. And I'm going to, why is this not working? I'm working harder. I'm putting my money into it, my time, my effort. My, I'm trying everything and it's just not working. This is just a glorified paperweight, Right. You get frustrated. You're like, ah, why is this not working? It's detached from the power source. Watch what amazingly happens when you plug in. Now we're cooking. Now stuff's going to happen. Same thing happens in our spiritual life when we detach our lives from prayer. Because we detach ourselves from the power source that is God. And we wonder why he's not working and moving in our lives. Where do you need to plug back in today and watch him move and watch him work in a big way for his glory and not our own. 
So how do we open our hearts? This text teaches us through a man who doesn't even have a personal relationship yet with God, about how we can approach Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? So how do we declare our dependence on God? In a culture that pushes independence, how do we declare our dependence? Because that's what prayer is. One, share authentically. The dad goes, I need help. Are you, will you come to Jesus today authentically with however you are? He will meet you wherever you are. Just be real. Be real. Because can I tell you a secret? Jesus already knows how you are. But will you humble yourself to admit the reality authentically about where you are? I need help and I can't fix it. Come share humbly. Come um, humbly. I can't do it, but I think, I hope, I know somewhere in that you can. Posture of humility. Get as low as you can, as fast as you can, as long as you can. Share specifically. My son needs help. How many of you are there? Jesus, thank you for this food. See you later. And that's our prayer life. Pray specifically. God, will you work for your glory in this situation? But always when we pray, have the heart of humility. Not my will, but whose be done? Your will be done. That's a prayer that God answers and share fervently. Fervently means to keep asking with passion and urgency. The word asked here in the text, he went to him and asked him, he wasn't like, Hey Jesus, if you get a chance, can you do this? No, that's not the word in the original language. The original language is to keep asking urgently. Jesus help. There is fervency there. There is urgency there. Way we do the same to keep bringing urgently. Where have you stopped praying that you need to keep praying? Keep believing. Trusting in Jesus' sovereignty. We're not going to deny the pain or the difficulty. We're going to bring it and we're going to trust God's sovereignty and we're going to surrender it to him and we're going to submit under him. Whatever you want to do, Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. So I'm going to seek Jesus with it. I'm going to surrender it to him and surrender me to him. And then I'm going to submit to him in it. And as I do that, I have peace which passes understanding as Philippians 4 says. Because I'm going to trust that God's going to work. Because Romans 8 says that God works for his good in all situations for those who are called according to him. I'm going to trust. So where do you need to open your heart today to share authentically, humbly, specifically, fervently? Seeking God's glory. Maybe we should complain less and cry out more to Jesus. Do you spend more time pouting or praying? Gossiping or going to Jesus? Seeking, surrendering, and submitting to Jesus provides peace in my problems, confidence in my crisis, direction in my dilemma. The third step of faith to take today is this. The true faith places our trust in Jesus. I love verse 48. It says, so Jesus said to him, Jesus responded. Isn't that amazing? We're like, whatever, Jesus responds. But pause for a second. The creator of the universe, the savior of the world, had a heart-to-heart interaction with one guy in a crowd of who knows how many because he loved them and he cared for them. And that same God hears you and will respond to you as well. So he said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now you might, whoa, that's an interesting response. Sounds like he's throwing the smack down. We have to understand that you here is plural. It's not singular. And so Jesus is talking more generally to the people in the area going, hey guys, you're just here for the show and not the savior. 
You want the free food when I feed the 5,000. You don't really want me. And when the food is gone, you're gone. (laughs) How many of us are like that? We want the miracle, but we don't want really the Messiah. We don't want to submit and surrender. We want the, the blessing, the good stuff, the benefit. We want the money in the bank account, but we don't want the Messiah. We don't want to surrender. We want the healing. We want the job. We want this. And when we get this, then see you, Jesus. Thank you for your moment. I got the rest of this, right? Jesus says, no, it's not about that. It's about surrendering to me personally as my Lord, your Lord and Savior all the time. It's like, you're not going to, you don't just believe in me. You need other stuff. Now miracles, he, that's why he did the signs. They're not, signs and miracles are a means to an end. They're not an end in and of themselves. They were meant to point us to Jesus. So we would give our lives to Jesus and trust in Jesus. We are not supposed to just, Hey, here's a sample of Jesus's power. And that's enough for me and go home. Like I do at Sam's club all the time. I'll get the samples. I'm never going to buy the product, Mm, but they're good samples. How many of us treat Jesus like that? Oh, I got my emotional fix for the week. See you later, Jesus. I'll come back and at Easter. <laughs> Jesus said, there's so much more and I am so much more. And then look at this. The dad again says, the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. He's like, Jesus, you have to physically be there to do that. And Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. He's like, Jesus, my power supersedes boundaries. I don't even have to physically be there to heal your son. Praise God for that. And do you notice this? He doesn't actually do what the dad asked him to have. Dad's like, come and come, come see me and heal. Jesus is like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to heal, but I'm going to do it my way on my terms because I'm going to glorify myself in a way that you can't imagine. But how many of us are like, we get the answer that Jesus that we're praying for, but it's not how we want it. And so we whine about it or we complain about it or we're frustrated. If we're like, God, glorify yourself. And he does it in a way that is painful for us or hard for us, or it's not our way, man, I struggle with that sometimes. And maybe I'm the only one in the room, right? But where are you more focused on having it your way? It's not, as I said before, you know, our spiritual faith journey, it's not Burger King. It's submission, surrender. So Jesus says, I'll do it, but I'll do it my way. Go, your son will live. When he says that, will you trust him? Because look at what the man does. The man, verse 50, believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. He's not even a, have a, he doesn't have a personal relationship with the Lord yet, but he trusted the Lord. Will you trust the word that Jesus speaks to you? Will you trust Jesus today? The man believed that Jesus, the word that Jesus spoke to him. And one little detail in, in here that I think is really, very really profound is that as a man goes home the next day, Keywords the next day, as he was going down, his servants came and met him and his, told him the great news. His son was recovering. So he asked him at what time he began to get better. And they said to him at the seventh hour, the fever left him. There's a little debate on what seventh hour means. I believe it means 1 p.m. And that was at the exact same time that Jesus had spoken the words the day before. And it was at night. It was a scary journey. He, he didn't go immediately home. He spent the night in Cana and then went back the next day but he had peace to actually rest well because Jesus had made him a promise. He trusted in Jesus. Peace in the problems. And he like, this wasn't like he could FaceTime his son. Okay. This was before the iPhone. (laughs) 
He couldn't make a Zoom call and go, son, are you feeling better or not? He had no idea. He had to trust Jesus and take Jesus at his word. And that allowed him to sleep and have peace. Because that's what Jesus does. He gives us peace in the middle of our problem. We don't always immediately see the results. But we've seen 33. I've said all these things to you. This is the upper room right before he goes to the cross. That in me, you may have peace, but in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Praise God. He said that to men that had just watched one of their own leave the room to betray him. He said that to men he knew was about to deny him, Peter. He said that to men that he had just told he was going to die. He told them he was going to leave and they're going to be better for it. Can you just imagine the consternation in their heads in the upper room? He's like, I told you all this craziness so that you can have peace. What? (laughs) In this world, you will have trouble. We're not going to deny the difficulty of this world. We're not going to deny the fallen reality. Our current world is not how God designed it. Genesis 1 and 2. But sin broke, came into the world in Genesis 3 and brought fallenness and brokenness and illnesses and pain and relational discord and all the things. But even in Genesis 3, God begins his plan of redemption. Praise God for that, to restore us back to what we look forward to with all of eternity. When we read the end of the book, Jesus wins. And there's a day that there will be coming as we look towards eternity that there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more grief, no more tears. Praise God for that, amen? And in that we have hope in our current heart because we focus on the eternal so where are you overcome with fear or anxiety today? Jesus says, you don't need to have, be overcome with a fear or anxiety because I have already overcome the world. We need to trust him in that. I talked to a friend last weekend that surprisingly to him lost his job on Friday. Four teenage kids, health concerns significant in the family. This man serves the Lord. He's an elder in a church. He's been a vocational pastor before. He serves the Lord. And he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do for a job. I don't know what I'm going to do for insurance. I don't, I, I, I don't know where to go. And my kids are asking me questions. My wife is concerned and it's just hard. Guys, can I tell you that the hard part of the reality of the fallenness and the brokenness of the world is that we aren't protected from the, de- from the struggles of the world. We aren't always protected from experiencing illness or tragedy or depravity or hostility. In fact, we're promised that we will experience those things. So often we're like, if Jesus, you're real, you would prevent me from having this. God doesn't create us to live in a bubble. He created us to live yearning for eternity with the confidence in eternity and that he has already overcome. And so my heart yearns for the grief that we all walk through for lives that are cut way too short for illnesses that, that debilitate for financial struggles, which just overwhelm all of which are very, 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 very real in this world. And if you're walking through something like that right now, I just want you to know you, we love you. God loves you and we are with you and you're not alone but may we not deny that reality and maybe lament it, but may we never dismiss the sovereignty of God and trusting the reality that he is at work for his purposes and he will accomplish what he sets out to do, that he will be glorified and that nothing and no one can stop him. Oh, death, where is your sting? It has been swallowed up in victory, amen? The whole context of that is looking forward to eternity in 1 Corinthians 15. So may we do that and as we endure and persevere with grief, may we do it with hope that our God is one who has already overcome and he will overcome. Praise God for that. But that's why we need to open our hearts to Jesus and say, help, I'm struggling. I need you. I love what Isaiah says, 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is what? Stayed on you. 
because he trusts in you? Are you staying your mind? Are you setting your mind on Jesus Christ? That's where peace is. Jesus is peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of Christ in the conflict. Peace is a person, Jesus Christ. Peace is clinging to the promises of God. Peace is anchoring and building and ordering your life on the rock that is Jesus as he himself teaches us in Matthew 7. And not the sands of culture or self. Where have you built your life? Where are you building your life? What changes do you need to make? Because when the storms come, and guess what? They're coming, aren't they? They're here. We are promised storms. It was quite the storm this past week, right? Look at this picture of what happened here in just Annapolis from Tuesday night. You'll see on the screen, right? Trees down, power out, flooding. But how many of our lives are like that spiritually when the storms come? If we aren't rooted in Jesus Christ, we fall over. The power gets knocked out. Our lives are flooded with fear and anxiety and doubt because we have not anchored our hearts in Jesus Christ. And that's why we need to renew it over and over again. That's why the, the faith journey is a, is a pursuit. It's a process. None of us are perfect in it. That's why Paul says in Romans 12 too, we need to continue to renew our minds in the reality of Jesus' supremacy, his confidence in who he is and trust in him and his goodness and his grace so that we won't get tossed So where are we succumbing right now to the difficulty of this world? And it is hard. And again, we can't always change our external circumstances, but we can submit our hearts to God and trust that he will anchor our internal circumstances, which are our hope, our joy, and our peace, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control come as an overflow of anchoring our hearts and our faith in Jesus Christ and the word of Jesus and the promises of Jesus. Are you trusting in the promises of Jesus today? The plan of Jesus, the purposes of Jesus, the power of Jesus. Where do you need to do that right now? Where have you drifted from that? Where do you need to turn? Because what would change in your life if you actually trusted Jesus like this man does? What would change? A whole lot, wouldn't it? So where do you need to do that today? Can you trust Jesus? Absolutely. Are you trusting Jesus? I have no idea. Will you trust Jesus? Submit, surrender as you seek and you will experience peace in the problems, direction in the dilemma and confidence that Jesus is working in the crisis. The fourth and final step today that we see is today that we take is to obey the words of Jesus. True faith obeys the words of Jesus. I'm going to trust him and then I'm going to obey him. We see that right here in the text. The man in verse 50, after Jesus said to him, go and your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he did what? What's the next next word after what? And he what? Went on his way. He obeyed. Jesus said, go. The man went. He obeyed immediately. Obedience is the fruit of faith. Obedience is born out of love. Jesus himself says that, right? John 14 in the upper room again, before he goes to the cross, he looks at those that have been with him all three years and some of his parting words to them, he says this to his disciples, if you love me, you'll what? Obey my commands. He commanded this man who had yet to put his faith fully in Jesus Christ to go. And this man obeyed and he wins. Are you obeying? Are you obeying the words of Jesus? Are you obeying the full totality of the word of God? 
Not just some of it, but all of it. When you like it and when you don't. When you feel like it and when you don't. That's submission. That's surrender. They're saying, God's word is greater than me. God is greater than me. I'm going to put my life under the authority of God's word, and I'm actually going to learn it, study it, and do what it says. Will you? Are you? Because it changes everything. That's our heart for you at Harvest. This is a perfect time of year to get back into small groups, to get back into your Bible, to read it, but to do it together in community. If you have not been in a small group yet, we'd love to talk with you about that. In addition to small groups, men, there's a Bible study on Friday mornings. Women, there's a Bible study starting again in a few weeks. The marriage conference is a great way to anchor your hearts and your marriage in the word of God. I would encourage you to come. We won't let finances keep anybody away, whether you're married or aspiring to be married, single, dating, engaged, whether you have friends, it's open to all. Come, anchor in the word of God. Grow in the word of God. And you will watch God do things in you and through you that you can never even imagine. Because look at the power of the words, the promises of God. Look at the power of Jesus himself. He met his servants and they said, your son's recovering. And that started at the exact same time that Jesus made the promise because Jesus does what he says, amen? Praise God for that. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said, your son will live. And look at verse 53, look at what happens. And he himself, the father, believed. He put his faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Praise God for that. And it wasn't just that. And in all of his household, the son that had been sick believed in the name of Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Praise God for that. Will you believe today in the name of Jesus as your Lord and Savior? What if this son had to get sick physically so he could be healed spiritually? God is working even in our crisis in ways that we can't imagine. Because if this son hadn't gotten sick, do you think the dad would have actually gone to Jesus? I don't know. We don't know. I would guess that there's a good chance he, he might not have. But God works in all seasons, in all situations for his good and glory as we seek him, surrender to him, and submit to him. We see the man doing this journey of faith, the progression of faith, the process of faith happening in this man's heart to have authentic, true faith as he believes in the word of God and then he actually believes that in Jesus, the son of God, John 20, 31, that he would now have life. God is bringing life out of death. He brings his son physically from the, the doorstep of death into life and he brings a son, the dad, and whoever else is in the household out of the spiritual death and into spiritual life for all of eternity. Praise him, amen. That's our God. That's our Jesus. And that same Savior is here today to offer you hope on earth to have abundant life and offer you in, in, on earth and to offer you spiritual, eternal life. Will you believe? Will you trust him? And will you turn to him today? And you're like, I don't know. What does it look like to trust the truth of God in the crisis? I want to close today with four different passages from Jesus because you might be like, I don't get to see Jesus physically and, and journey to him. Well, here's some of the promises from the word of God that Jesus promises us in everyday life, whether it's stormy or whether it's calm seas. Will you believe him? Will you trust him? And will you obey him? Look at, look at these today. And will you apply them in your life this week? These are truths from Jesus that we can trust. The words of Jesus, will we see, obey them? First is this, Jesus says to all of us, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Praise God for that, amen. Look at that promise. You will find rest as what? As you seek Jesus. As you come to Jesus. That's the directive. That's the command. Come to me. Will you come to Jesus today? He's promising you peace and rest. Not just for your daily life, but for your soul where you're deeply seeking. Will you come to him? The next truth that we can trust from Jesus, but will we obey it? Jesus says in John 10, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and, and out and he will find pasture that's rest. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may, they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is saying, will you enter by me? Will you come through me to find peace, abundant life on earth? Yes, there are thieves. We're not going to deny that reality. Yes, there is hostility against you. But I am offering you tranquility, Jesus says. Pasture. Rest. Through Jesus. Will you enter and seek him? Third truth of Jesus that we can trust today in our crisis. Therefore, do not be anxious about saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God knows. I love, you know what my favorite part of this text is? Your heavenly father knows. Like he knows the yearnings of your heart, the struggle in your bank account, the relational difficulty that you have, to put clothes on your back, maybe food on the table. He knows. And then he says, but seek first, Jesus says. Seek me first, the kingdom of God, and then I'll provide you everything else you need. It might not be what you want, but it's what you need. Will you do that? Will you do that today in his righteousness to submit your life under Jesus and say, I want to, I want to seek first the kingdom of God. Where do you need to do that in your life? In all areas, not just some. And finally, he says in John 14, in the upper room again, before he goes to the cross, he looks at his disciples and says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. There's a command, believe. In my father's house, there are many rooms. And if it were not so, what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. What a promise, right? And I will take you to myself. And where I am, you may also be. Praise God. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's promising you the reality that he's preparing a place for you. And he's coming back. We don't know when, but we know he's coming. Will you trust in him? Will you surrender to him? Because no one gets to the Father except through Jesus Christ. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. So will you surrender your life to him? And will you change your focus today to eternity, off of the earthly and onto the eternity? Jesus is in. Don't let your heart be troubled. How do we not let our heart be troubled? By focusing on the eternal reality of Jesus Christ. He's, he's risen, he's reigning, and he's supreme. Would you close your eyes with me today? As I was finishing up the message, the words of an old hymn came to mind this week. Trust and obey. 
a line from this hymn says, oh, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know thus saith the Lord. Praise God. Friends, where do you need to take a next step today in faith? And what part of your life right now is Jesus asking you to seek him? What area of your heart is he asking you to surrender to him? And where is he asking you to submit? To trust him, to take a next step of obedience, whether it's a big step or a baby step. And maybe today your step is to put your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time as your Lord and Savior, the reality that you are a sinner and you can't save yourself. We have a debt we couldn't pay. He paid it for us. He covered our price on the cross through his grace. And we put your faith in him as Lord and Savior. What is your next step of faith? And then will you commit to obey and take it today? Father, we love you. We thank you so much that you are the God that knows, that you are the God that heals, that you are the God that reigns, sovereign and supremely, lovingly and unconditionally. And God, I just pray that in this moment that you would lead us and guide us to you. God, give us the humility to seek you wholeheartedly. Give us the humility to seek you authentically to admit the reality that we are not the savior, but you are to decrease so that you might increase, to trust you, to turn to you, and to put our full weight and dependence on you. May we experience peace in you and through you. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.